The Conquering Hero of the Humboldts by Robert Howard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Conquering Hero of the Humboldts by Robert Howard. I was in Sundance, enjoying myself a little, after a long trail drive up from the Cimarron, when I got a letter from Abednego Raxton, which said as follows. Dear Breckenridge, that time I paid your fine down in Tucson for breaking the county clerk's leg, you said you'd give me a hand any time I ever needed help. Well, Breckenridge, I need your assistance right now. The rustlers is stealing me ragged. It has got so I nail my bed kivers to the bunk every night, or they'd steal the blankets right off of me, Breckenridge. Moreover, a stumbling block on the path of progress by the name of Ted Bissett is running sheep on the range next to me. This is more than a man can endure, Breckenridge. So I want you to come up here right away and help me find out who is stealing my stock and bust Ted Bissett's head for him, the low-minded skunk. Hoping you are the same, I begs to remain as usual. Your abused friend, Raxton Esquire. P.S. That sap-headed misfit Johnny Willoughby which used to work for me down on Green River, is sheriff here, and he couldn't catch flies if they was bogged down in molasses. Well, I didn't feel it was none of my business to mix into any row Abednego might be having with the sheepmen, so long as both sides fit fair. But rustlers was a different matter. Uh, Elkins detests a thief. So I mounted Captain Kidd, after the usual battle, and headed for Lonesome Lizard, which was the nighest town to his ranch. I found myself approaching this town a while before noon one blazing hot day, and as I crossed a right thick timbered creek, shrieks for aid and assistance suddenly bust the stillness. A hoss also neighed wildly, and Captain Kidd begun to snort and champ like he always does when they is a bar or a cougar in the vicinity. I got off and tied him, because if I was going to have to fight some critter like that, I didn't want him mixing into the scrap. He was just as likely to kick me as the varmint. I then went on foot in the direction of the screams, which was growing more desperate every minute, and I presently come to a thicket with a big tree in the middle of it, and there they was. One of the purtiest gals I ever seen was roosting in the tree and screeching blue murder, and they was a cougar climbing up after her. Help, says she wildly, shoot him. I just wish some of them tender foots which calls theirselves naturalists could see this, I says, taking off my Stetson. Uh, Elkins never forgets his manners. Some of them has tried to tell me cougars never attacks human beings, nor climbs trees, nor prowls in the daytime. I bet you this would make them realize they don't know it all, 
just like I said to that in which I seen in war paint Nevada last summer. Will you stop talking and do something? She says fiercely. Ow! Because he had wretched up and made a pass at her foot with his left paw. I seen this had went far enough, so I told him sternly to come down. But all he done was look down at me and spit in a very insulting manner. So I wretched up and got him by the tail and yanked him down and whapped him again the ground three or four times, and when I let go of him he run off a few yards and looked back at me in a most peculiar manner. Then he shaken his head like he couldn't believe it himself and let a shuck as hard as he could peel it in the general direction of the North Pole. Why didn't you shoot him? demanded the gal, leaning as far out as she could to watch him. Oh, he won't come back, I assured her. Hey, look out! That limb's going to break! Which it did, just as I spoke, and she come tumbling down with a shriek of despair. She still held on to the limb with a desperate grip, however, which is why it wrapped me so severe on the head when I catched her. Oh, says she, letting go of the limb and grabbing me, am I hurt? I don't know, I says. You better let me carry you to wherever you want to go. No, says she, getting her breath back. I'm all right. Let me down. So I done so, and she says, I got a hoss tied over there behind that fur. I was riding home from Lonesome Lizard and stopped to poke a squirrel out of a holler tree. It weren't a squirrel, though. It was that dang lion. If you'll get my hoss for me, I'll be riding home. Pap's ranch is just over that ridge to the west. I'm Margaret Brewster. I'm Breckenridge Elkins of Bear Creek, Nevada, I says. I'm heading for Lonesome Lizard, but I'll be riding back this way before long. Can I call on you? Well, she says, I'm engaged to marry a feller, but it's conditional. I got a suspicion he's a spineless failure, and I told him flat if he didn't succeed at the job he's working on now, not to come back. I detests a failure. That's why I like your looks, says she, giving me an admiring glance. A man which can wrestle a mountain lion with his bar hands is worth any gal's time. I'll send you word at Lonesome Lizard. If my fiancé flops like it looks he's going to do, I'd admire to have you call. I'll be awaiting your message with eager heart and honest devotion, I says, and she blushed daintily and clumb on her hoss and pulled her freight. I watched her till she was clean out of sight, then hove a sigh that shook the acorns out of the surrounding oaks and wended my way back to Captain Kidd in a sort of rose-colored haze. I was so entranced I started to get on the Captain Kidd on the wrong end and never noticed till he kicked me violently in the belly. Love, Captain Kidd, I says to him dreamily, battening between the eyes with my pistol butt, is youth's sweet dream. But he made no response outside of stomping on my corns. Captain Kidd has got very little sentiment. So I mounted and pulled for Lonesome Lizard, which I arriv at maybe an hour later. I put Captain Kidd in the strongest livery stable I could find, and seen he was fed and watered, 
then warned the stable hands not to antagonize him. Then I headed for the Red Warrior Saloon. I needed a little refreshments before I started for Abednego's ranch. I'd taken me a few drams and talked to the men which was foregathered there, being mainly cowmen. The sheep men patronized the buck and ram across the street. That was the first time I'd ever been in Montana, and them fellers weren't familiar with my reputation, as was showed by their manner. How the sum ever, they was perlite enough, and after we'd downed a few fingers of corn scrapings, one of them asked me where I was from, proving they considered me an honest man with nothing to conceal. When I told them, one of them said, By golly, they must grow big men in Nevada if you're a sample. You're the biggest critter I ever seen in the shape of a human. I bet he's as stout as Big John, says one, and another and says, That can't be. This gent is human after all. Big John ain't. I was just fixin' to ask them who this John Varmint was, when one of them cranes his neck toward the winder and says, Speak of the devil and ye gets a whiff of brimstone. Here comes John across the street now. He must have seen this gent comin' in and is on his way to make his usual challenge. The sight of a man as big as him is like wavin' a red flag at a bull. I looked out the winder and seen a critter about the size of a granary comin' across the street from the buck and ram followed by a gang of men which looked like him, but not nigh as big. "'What kind of folks air they?' I asked with interest. "'They ain't neither Mexicans nor Injuns, but they sure ain't white men neither.' "'Ah, oh, they're hunkies,' says a little sawed-off cowman. "'Ted Bissett brung em in here to herd sheep for him. "'That biggin's John. He ain't got no sense.' but you never seen such a hunk of muscle in your life. Where are they from? I asked. Canada? Nah, says he. They come originally from a place called Europe. I don't know where it is, but I judge it's somewhere east of Chicago. But I know them fellers never originated nowheres on this continent. They was rough-dressed and wild-looking, with knives in their belts, and they didn't look like no folks I'd ever saw before. They come into the bar room, and the one called John bristled up to me very hostile with his little beady black eyes. He stuck out his chest about a foot and hit it with his fist, which was about the size of a sledgehammer. It sounded like a man beating a bass drum. You strong man! says he. I strong too. We wrestle, eh? Nah, I says. I don't care nothing about wrestling. He give a snort which blowed the foam off of every beer glass on the bar and looked around till he seen an iron rod lying on the floor. It looked like the handle of a branded iron and was pretty thick. He grabbed this and bent it into a V and throwed it down on the bar in front of me and all the other hunkies jabbered admiringly. This childish display irritated me, but I controlled myself and drunk another finger of whiskey, and the bartender whispered to me, Look out for him. 
He aims to prod you into a fight. He's nearly killed nine or ten men with his bare hands. He's a mean one. Well, says I, tossing a dollar onto the bar and turning away, I got more important things to do than wrestle an outlandish foreigner in a bar room. I gotta eat my dinner and get out to the Raxton Ranch quick. But at that moment Big John chose to open his bazoo. There are some folks which can't never let well enough alone. Fraid, jeered he. Yah, yah. The hunkies all whooped and guffawed, and the cattlemen scowled. What you mean, afraid? I gasped, more dumbfounded than mad. It'd been so long since anybody's made a remark like that to me. I was plumb flabbergasted. <laughs> then I remembered I was amongst strangers which didn't know my reputation, and I realized it was my duty to correct that their oversight before somebody got hurt on account of ignorance. So I said, All right, you dumb foreign muttonhead, I'll wrestle you. But as I went up to him, he doubled up his fist and hit me, severely on the nose, and them hunkies all bust into loud, rude laughter. That weren't wise. A man had better twist a striped thunderbolt's tail than hit a Elkins unexpected on the nose. I give a roar of irritation and grab Big John and started committing mayhem on him, free and enthusiastic. I swept all the glasses and bottles off of the bar with him, and knocked down a hanging lamp with him, and fanned the floor with him, till he was limp. Then I throwed him the full length of the bar room. His head went through the panels of the back door, and the other hunkies, which had stood petrified, stampeded into the street with howls of horror. So I taken the Brandon iron handle and straightened it out, and bent it around his neck, and twisted the ends together in a knot, so he had to get a blacksmith to file it off after he come to, which was several hours later. All them cowmen was staring at me with their eyes popped out of their heads, and seemed plumb incapable of speech, so I give a snort of disgust at the whole incident, and strode off to get my dinner. As I left, I heard one feller, which was holding on to the bar like he was too weak to stand alone, say feebly to the dumbfounded bartender, "'Give me a drink, quick. I never thunk I'd live to see something I couldn't believe when I was looking right smack at it.' I couldn't make no sense out of this, so I headed for the dining room of the Montana Hotel and Bar." but my hopes of peace and quiet was an illusion. I'd just started on my fourth beefsteak when a big maverick in star-top boots and store-bought clothes come surging into the dining room and bellered, Is your name Elkins? Yeah, it is, I says, but I ain't deef. You don't have to yell. Well, what the hell you mean by interfering with my business, he squalled, ignoring my reproof. I don't know what you're talking about, I growled, emptying the sugar bowl into my coffee cup with some irritation. 
It looked like Lonesome Lizard was full of maniacs which craved destruction. Who air you, anyhow? I'm Ted Bissett, that's who, howled he, convulsively gesturing toward his six-shooter. And I'm on to you. You're a damn Nevada gunman. Old Abe Draxton's brought up here to run me off the range. He's been bragging about it all over town. And you start your work by running off my sheep herders. What do you mean, I run your sheep herders off? I demanded, amazed. They run off after you maltreated Big John, he gnashed, with his face convulsed. They're so scared of you they won't come back without double pay. You can't do this to me, you expletive deleted. A man don't live, which can call me that name with impunity. I impulsively hit him in the face with my fried steak, and he give a impassioned shriek and pulled his gun. But some grease had gotten in his eyes, so all he done with his first shot was bust the syrup pitcher at my elbow, and before he could cock his gun again, I shot him through the arm. He dropped his gun and grabbed the place with his other hand and made some remarks which ain't fitting for to repeat. I yelled for another steak, and Bissett yelled for a doctor, and the manager yelled for the sheriff. The last-named individual didn't get there till after the doctor and the steak had arrove, and was set in Bissett's arm. The doctor, I mean, and not the steak, which a trembling waiter brung me. Quite a crowd had gathered by this time, and was watching the doctor work with great interest and offering advice which seemed to infuriate Bissett, judging from his language. He also discussed his busted arm with considerable passion, but the doctor weren't a bit worried. You never seen such a cheerful gent. He was jovial and gay, no matter how loud Bissett yelled. You could tell right off he was a man which could take it. But Bissett's friends was very mad and Jack Campbell, his foreman, was muttering something about em taking the law into their own hands, when the sheriff came prancing in, waving a six-shooter and hollering, Where is he? Point out the scoundrel to me. There he is, everybody yelled and ducked, like they expected gunplay. But I had already recognized the sheriff, and when he seen me he recoiled, and shoved his gun out of sight like it was red-hot or something. "'Brickin' Ridge Elkins,' says he. Then he stopped and studied a while. Then he told them to take Bissett out to the bar and pour some liquor down him. When they'd went, he sat down at the table and says, "'Brick, I want you to understand that they ain't nothing personal about this, but I got to arrest you.' It's again the law to shoot a man inside of the city limits. I ain't got time to get arrested, I told him. I gotta get over to old Abed Raxton's ranch. But listen, Breck, argued the sheriff. It was John Willoughby, just like old Abed said. What'll folks think if I don't jail you for shooting a leading citizen? Election's coming up and my hat's in the ring, says he, gulping my coffee. Bissett shot at me first, I said. Why don't you arrest him? 
"'Well, he didn't hit you,' says Johnny, absently cramming half a pie into his mouth and making a stab at my potatoes. "'Anyway, he's got a busted arm and ain't able to go to jail just now. Besides, I need the sheepmen's votes.' "'Oh, I don't like jails,' I said irritably, and he begun to weep. "'If you was a friend to me,' sobs he, "'you'd be glad to spend the night in jail to help me get re-elected. "'I'd do as much for you. "'The whole county's given me hell anyway, "'cause I ain't been able to catch none of them cattle rustlers, "'and if I don't arrest you, I don't have a Chinaman's chance at the polls. "'How can you do me like this?' after the times we had together in the old days i'll stop blubbering i says you can arrest me if you want to what's the fine i don't want to collect no fine brick says he wiping his eyes on the oilcloth table cover and filling his pockets with doughnuts i figures a jail sentence will give me more prestige I'll let you out first thing in the morning. You won't tear up the jail, will you, Breck? I promised I wouldn't, and then he wants me to give up my guns, and I refuses. But good gosh, Breck, he pleaded. It'd look awful funny for a prisoner to keep on his shooting irons. So I give em to him just to shut him up. And then he wanted to put his handcuffs onto me, but they weren't big enough to fit my wrists. So he said if I'd lend him some money, he could have the blacksmith make me some leg irons. But I refused profanely. So he said, all right, it was just a suggestion and no offense intended. So we went down to the jail. The jailer was off sleeping off a drunk somewheres, but he left the key hanging on the door, so we went in. Pretty soon along come Johnny's deputy, Bige Gantry, a long, loose jined cuss with a dangerous eye. So Johnny sent him to the Red Warrior for a can of beer, and whilst he was gone, Johnny bragged on him a heap. Why, says he, Bige is the only man in the county which has ever got within shooting distance of them dern outlaws. He was by hisself, fust luck. If I'd been along, we'd a scuppered the whole gang. I asked him if he had any idea who they was, and he said Bige believed they was a gang up from Wyoming. Then I said, well, then in that case, they got a hangout in the hills somewheres, and ought to be easier to run down than men which scattered to their homes after each raid. Bige got back with the beer about then. Johnny told him that when I got out of jail he was going to deportize me and we'd all go after them outlaws together. So Bige said that was great and looked me over pretty sharp and we sat down and started playing poker. Long about supper time the jailer come in, looking tolerable seedy, and Johnny made him cook us some supper. Whilst we was eatin the jailer stuck his head into my cell and said, A gent is out there cravin audience with Mr Elkins. D 
tell him the prisoner's busy, says Johnny. A done so, says the jailer, and he says if you don't let him in pretty darn quick, he's going to bust in and cut your throat. That must be old Abe Braxton, says Johnny. Better let him in. Breck, says he, I looks to you to protect me if the old cuss gets mean. So old Abed come waltzing into the jail with fire in his eye and corn liquor on his breath. At the sight of me, he let out a squall which was painful to hear. A hell of a help you be, you big lummox, he hollered. I sends for you to help me bust up a gang of rustlers and sheep herders, and the first thing you does is to get in jail. Tweren't my fault, I says. Them sheep herders started picking on me. Well, he snarls, wasn't you drill Bissett Center when you was at it? I come up here to shoot rustlers, not sheep herders, I said. "'What's the difference?' he snarled. "'Them sheepmen has probably got as much right to the range as you cowmen,' I says. "'See such outrageous blasphemy,' says he, shocked. "'You've bungled things so far, but there's one good thing. "'Bissett had to hire back his darned hunky herders at double wages. "'He don't no more mind spending money than he does spilling his own blood, that cussed tightwad. Well, what's your fine? Ain't no fine, I says. Johnny wants me to stay in jail a while. At this, old Abed convulsively went for his gun, and Johnny got behind me and hollered, Don't you dare shoot a ossifer of the law. It's a spite trick, gibbered old Abed. He's been mad at me ever since I fired him off of my payroll. After I kicked him off of my ranch, he run for sheriff. And the night of the election, everybody was so drunk they voted for him by mistake, or for a joke, or something. And since he's been in office, he's been letting the sheepmen steal me right out of house and home. That's a lie says Johnny heatedly. I give you as much protection as anybody else, you old buzzard. I just ain't been able to run any of them critters down, that's all. But you wait. Bidge is on their trail, and we'll have em behind the bars before the snow falls. Before the snow falls in Guatemala, maybe, snorted old Abed. All right, blast you. I'm going but I'll have Breckenridge out of here if I have to burn the cussed jail. A Raxton never forgets. So he stalked out sulfurously, only turning back to snort, Sheriff, bah, seven murders in the county unsolved since you come into office. You'll let them sheepmen murder us all in our beds. We ain't had a hanging since you was elected. After he left, Johnny brooded a while and finally says, The old Lobo's right about them murders, only he neglected to mention that four of them was sheepmen. I know it's cattlemen and sheepmen killing each other, each side accusing the other of rustling stock, but I can't prove nothing. 
A hanging would set me solid with the voters. Here he eyed me hungrily and ventured, If somebody just up and confessed to some of them murders. You needn't look at me like that, I said. I never killed nobody in Montana. Well, he argued, nobody could prove you never done em, and after you was hanged. Listen here, you, I says with some passion. I'm willing to help a friend get elected all I can, but they's a limit. Oh, well, all right, he sighed. I didn't much figure you'd be willing anyway. Folks is so darn selfish these days. All they thinks about is their selves. But listen here. If I was to bust up a lynching mob, it'd be nigh as good a boost for my campaign as a legal hanging. I'll tell you what. Tonight I'll have some of my friends put on masks and come take you out and pretend like they was going to hang you. Then when they got the rope around your neck, I'll run out and shoot in the air and they'll run off. And I'll get credit for upholding law and order. Folks always disapproves of mobs unless they happens to be in em. So I said, all right. He urged me to be careful and not hurt none of em, because they was all his friends and would be mine. I asked him would they bust the door down, and he said, there weren't no use in damaging the property like that. They could hold up the jailer and take the key off of him. So he went off to fix things, and after a while, Bige Gantry left and said he was on the trace of a clue to them cattle rustlers, and the jailer started drinking hair tonic mixed with tequila, and in about an hour he was stiffer than a wet lariat. Well, I laid down on the floor on a blanket to sleep without taking my boots off, and about midnight a gang of men with masks come, and they didn't have to hold up the jailer cause he was out cold. So they taken the key off him and all the loose change and plugged the backer out of his pockets too and opened the door. And I asked, Are you the gents which is gonna hang me? And they says, We be. So I got up and asked them if they had any liquor. And one of them give me a good snort out of his hip flask. And I said, All right. Let's get it over with so I can go back to sleep. He was the only one which done any talking, and the rest didn't say a word. I figured they was bashful. He said, Let's tie your hands behind you so's to make it look real. And I said, All right. They tied me with some rawhide thongs, which I reckon would have held the average man all right. So I went outside with them, and they was an oak tree right close to the jail, nice some bushes. I figured Johnny was hiding over behind them bushes. They had a barrel for me to stand on, and I got onto it. They throwed a rope over a big limb and put the noose around my neck, and the feller says, Any last words? Oh, hell, I says, this is plumb silly. Ain't it about time for Johnny at this moment? They kicked the barrel out from under me. Well, I was kind of surprised, but I tensed my neck muscles and waited for Johnny to rush out and rescue me. But he didn't come, and the noose began to pinch the back of my neck. So I got disgusted and says, Hey, let me down. 
Then one of them which hadn't spoke up before says, By golly, I never heard a man talk after he'd been strung up before. I recognized that voice. It was Jack Campbell, Bissett's foreman. Well, I have got a quick mind in spite of what my cousin Bearfield Buckner says, so I knowed right off something was fishy about this business. So I snapped the thongs on my wrists and wrenched up and caught hold of the rope I was hung with by both hands and broke it. Them scoundrels was so surprised they didn't think to shoot at me till the rope was already broke, and then the bullets all went over me as I fell. When they started shooting, I knowed they meant me no good, and acted accordin'. I dropped right in the midst of em, and brung three to the ground with me, and during the few seconds to taken me to choke and batter em unconscious, the others was scared to fire for fear o' hitting their friends. We was so tangled up. So they clustered round me and started beating me over the head with their gun butts. And I riz up like a bar amongst a pack of hounds and grabbed four more of em and hugged em till their ribs cracked. Their masks come off during the process, revealing the faces of Bissett's friends. I'd saw em in the hotel. Somebody prodded me in the hind leg with a buoy at that moment, which infuriated me, so I throwed them four amongst the crowd and hit out right and left, knocking over a man or so at each lick, until I seen a wagon smoke on the ground and stooped over to pick it up. When I'd done that, somebody throwed a coat over my head and blinded me, and six or seven men then jumped onto my back. About this time I stumbled over some feller which had been knocked down and fell on my belly, and they all started jumping up and down on me enthusiastically. I wretched around and grabbed one and dragged him around to where I could reach his left ear with my teeth. I would have taken it clean off at the first snap, only I had to bite through the coat which was over my head. But as it was I'd done a good job, judging from his awful shrieks. He put forth a supreme effort and tore away, taking the coat with him, and I shaken off the others and riz up in spite of their puny efforts with the wagon spoke in my hand. A wagon spoke is a good comfort and implement to have in a melee, and very demoralizing to the enemy. This and busted all to pieces about the fourth or fifth lick, but that was enough. Them which was able to run had all took to their heels, leaving the battlefield strewed with moaning and cussing figures. Their remarks was shocking to hear, but I give em no heed. I headed for the sheriff's office, mad clean through. It was a few hundred yards east of the jail, and just as I rounded the jailhouse, I run smack into a dim figure which comes sneaking through the brush, making a curious clanking noise. It hit me with what appeared to be an iron bar, so I went to the ground with it and choked it and beat its head again the ground till the moon come out from behind a cloud and revealed the bewhiskered features of old Abednego Raxton. What the hell? I demanded of the universe at large. Is everybody in Montana crazy? 
What are you doing trying to murder me in my sleep? I warn't, you jack-eared lunkhead, snarled he when he could talk. Then what'd you hit me with that there pinch bar for, I demanded. I didn't know it was you, says he, getting up and dusting his breeches. I thought it was a grizzly bar when you riz up out of the dark. Did you bust out? Nah, I never, I said. I told you I was staying in jail to do Johnny a favor. And you know what that old son of Belial done? He framed it up with Bissett's friends to get me hung. Come on, I'm going over and interview the dern skunk right now. So we went over to Johnny's office, and the door was unlocked and a candle burning, but he weren't in sight. They was a small iron safe there, which I figured he had my guns locked up in, so I got a rock and busted it open, and sure enough, there my shooting irons was. They was also a gallon of corn liquor there, and me and Abed was discussing whether or not we had the moral right to drink it when I heard somebody remark in a muffled voice, woof, woof, woof. So we looked around and I seen a pair of spurs sticking out from under a camp cot over in the corner. I grabbed hold of the boots they was on and pulled them out, and a human figure come with them. It was Johnny. He was tied, hand and foot, and gagged, and he had a lump onto his head the size of a turkey egg. I pulled off the gag, and the first thing he says was, If you sons of perdition drinks my private liquor, I'll have your heart's blood. You better do some explaining, I says, resentfully. What you mean sickin' Bissett's friends onto me? I never done such, says he heatedly. Right after I left the jail, I come to the office here and was just fixin' to get hold of my friends to frame the fake necktie party when somebody come in at the door and hit me over the head. I thought it was Baj comin' in and didn't look round, then whoever it was clouded me. I'd just a while ago come to myself, and I was tied up like you see. If he's tellin' the truth, says old Abed, which he seems to be, much as I hates to admit it. It looks like some friend of Bissett's overheard you all talking about this thing, followed Johnny over and put him out of the way for the time being, then raised a mob of his own, knowing Breck wouldn't put up no resistance, thinking they was friends. I told you whose hat. We all drawed our irons, then put em up as Baj Gantry rushed in holding on to the side of his head, which was all bloody. i just had a brush with the outlaws, he hollered. I've been trailing them all night. They waylaid me while ago three miles out of town. They nearly shot my ear off. But if I didn't wing one of them, I'm a Dutchman. Round up a posse, howled Johnny, grabbing a Winchester and cartridge belt. Take us back to where you had the scrape, Baj. Wait a minute, I said, grabbing Baj. Let me see that ear. I jerked his hand away, disregarding the spur he stuck into my leg, and bellered, Shot hell! That ear was chawed, and I'm the man which done it. You was one of them illegitimates that tried to hang me. 
He then whipped out his gun, but I knocked it out of his hand and hit him on the jaw and knocked him through the door. I then followed him outside and taken away the buoy he drawed as he rose groggily and throwed him back into the office. And then I went in and I throwed him out again, then went out and throwed him back in again. How long is this going on? he asked. Probably all night, I assured him. The way I feel right now, I can keep heaving you in and out of this office from now till noon tomorrow. Hold up, gurgled he. I'm a hard nut, but I know when I'm licked. I confess, I done it. Done what? I demanded. I hit Johnny on the head and tied him up, he howled, grabbing wildly for the door jam as he went past it. I rigged the lynching party. I'm in with the rustlers. Set him down, hollered Abed, grabbing hold of my shirt. Quick, Johnny, help me hold Breckenridge before he kills a valorable witness. But I shaken him off impatiently and sought Gantry onto his feet. He couldn't stand, so I held him up by the collar, and he gasped, I lied about trading shots with the outlaws. I've been fooling Johnny all along. Them rustlers ain't no Wyoming gang. They all live around here. Ted Bissett is the head chief of em. Ted Bissett, eh? Whooped Abed, doing a war dance and kicking my shins in his glee. See there, ya big lummox. What'd I tell you? What you think now after showing so darn much affection for them cussed sheepmen? Just shooting Bissett in the arm like he was your brother or something. Swander you didn't invite him out to dinner. You ain't got the... Ah, shut up, I said fretfully. Go on, Gantry. He ain't a legitimate sheepman, says he. That's just a blind, him running sheep. Ain't no real sheepmen mixed up with him. His gang is just the scrapings of the country, and they hide out on his ranch when things get hot. Other times they scatters and goes home. They're the ones which has been killing honest sheepmen and cattlemen, trying to set the different factions agin each other so as to make stealing easier. The hunkies ain't in on the deal. He just brung em out to herd his sheep because his own men wouldn't do it, and he was afeard if he hired local sheep herders they'd catch on to him. Naturally, we wanted you out of the way when we knowed you'd come up here to run down the rustlers, so tonight I seen my chance when Johnny started talking about staging that fake hanging. I followed Johnny and tapped him on the head and tied him up, and went and told Bissett about the business, and we got the boys together, and you know the rest. It was a peach of a frame-up, and it would have worked, too, if we'd been dealing with a human being. Lock me up. All I want right now is a good, quiet penitentiary where I'll be safe. Well, I said to Johnny after he'd locked Gantry up, all you got to do is ride over to Bissett's ranch and arrest him. He's laid up with his arm and most of his men is crippled. You'll find a number of them over by the jail. This ought to elect you. Well, it will, says he, doing a war dance in his glee. I'm as good as elected right now. And I'll tell you, Breck, tain't the job alone I'm thinking about. I'd have lost my gal if I'd lost the race. But she's promised to marry me if I catch them rustlers and got re-elected. And she won't go back on her word, neither. Yeah, I says with idle interest, thinking of my own true love. What's her name? Margaret Brewster, says he. What? I yelled in a voice which knocked old Abed over on his back like he'd been hit by a cyclone. 
them which accuses me of violent and unusual conduct, don't consider how my emotions was stirred up by the knowledge that I had went through all them humiliating experiences just to help a rival take my gal away from me. Throwing Johnny through the office window and kicking the walls out of the building was just a mild expression of the way I felt about the whole dern affair. And instead of feeling resentful, he ought to have been thankful. I was able to restrain my natural feelings as well as I had done. End of the Conquering Hero of the Humboldts